Carl Moeller met two men in their 20s who showed him an example of commitment to the Lord's work. They had entered a village in India to spread the gospel. They were beaten senseless. They were beaten and left for dead. They were actually thrown off a bridge leading into this village. And they, they landed in the mud flats below and were unconscious. Both of them woke up and I said, so what did you do? He said, well, we washed off in the river and then we went back into the village to keep doing the ministry. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with Dr. Carl Moeller. Dr. Carl is the CEO of Biblica, the International Bible Society. He is also the former CEO of Open Doors USA, so he's very familiar with persecution and uh, persecuted Christians around the world. So, Dr. Carl, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Well, Todd, it's great to be with you. Really great. Carl and I have spoken at different events at the same time over the years, and so I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit uh, and just really excited for this conversation today. Carl, as we start out, what does Biblica do? Tell, give me kind of the 30-second the elevator pitch of, of what is Biblica. Sure. Biblica, the International Bible Society, has been around in one form or another since 1809. So we have a pretty— You haven't been the CEO I, that Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm rather <laughs> long in the tooth, but not quite that long. It is amazing uh, to me to realize that for over 200 years, we've been engaged in Bible translation, Bible access— and Bible engagement work all around the world. Uh, we have about 82 different languages of the Bible in modern contemporary vernacular languages that are used by the most uh, well-known ministries around the world to be the best Bible available to those people. Secondly, Bible access, you know, getting God's Word into people's hands really represents uh, the majority of our work over 200 years, whether it was providing Bibles to sailors into New York Harbor or to immigrants on Ellis Island. We gave out a Bible to every immigrant who came into Ellis Island who wanted one. We gave out 10 million scriptures to the 12 million immigrants that came into Ellis Island. So those kinds of things have always been huge for us. And then, you know, we've also been involved in engagement with the Bible because it's not just enough to own a Bible or to have access to one but actually understanding what is it. And so we designed Bible tools and Bible reading plans and Bible materials that allow people to actually be transformed. See, we believe that providing God's Word in accurate and contemporary translations that people can understand so that they meet Jesus Christ and join his mission for the world. Amen. I like the idea of giving Bibles to immigrants. That seems like something maybe could still be done today. Little when, refugees, when yes, When refugees exactly. and immigrants come to America, exactly. it would be great to present each one of them with a copy of the Bible. Uh, I know you also talked about Scripture access, and, and you're here at Voice of the Martyrs today because that's something that's very near and dear to our hearts as well, delivering Bibles into hostile and restricted nations. And so it's great to have this partnership 
because we can help each other. And, exactly. and the ultimate goal, like you say, is to get the Bible into people's hands in a language that they understand. How do you partner with ministries like VOM? You know, that's what we do, is we actually come alongside and, and find those organizations that, that really want to take the Bible seriously. I mean, let's be honest. If you're doing ministry and you're not using the Bible, you might as well be the UN or some other secular agency. And You might should not it, use the word ministry at yeah, that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people who want to take the Bible seriously use the best Bible available to minister into the part of the world that they're doing. And you know, uh, Todd, I'll tell you this, uh, working with persecuted Christians around the world, as I did for nine years with Open Doors, it ruins you for almost any other type of Bible ministry. Because, you know, what people will do, the lengths that people will go to to own a Bible, to, to keep that Bible safe, and the risks that people take in taking ownership of that Bible personally, it's it just is inspirational. So, so for us, I mean, we work alongside organizations to help them find the best way possible to get more access to the Bible and more of those Bibles that are fit for the purpose that they want. So whether it's children or prisoners or any part of their society that they're trying to reach, we want to have the exact right type of Bible available to them. And that's what we do. We just come alongside and provide it for them. And I know our our ministries have that similar heart of coming alongside someone, not with a sort of a menu of, okay, here's what we could do for you, but just with an open book and say, okay, what can we do for you? What do you want us to do for you? And, you know, we talk about Bible distribution. Voice of the Martyrs is involved over the last couple of years, over a million Bibles a year going into hostile and restricted nations. And like you say, what a privilege to hand somebody a Bible after they've been praying sometimes for years, sometimes for decades. They've been asking God, God, someday... If, if at all possible, could you work a miracle and I could have my own Bible? And then someone from our office or someone from your office gets to go and hand that person a Bible. And it's, I mean, it's better than Christmas. It's, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's better than anything. It's unbelievable. I mean, so many times I've had that privilege of bringing God's Word to someone. I'm reminded of a few years back when I was with Open Doors, we brought, we smuggled uh, study Bibles. Can I say that here? Uh, uh, study Bibles. Yeah. Creative delivery. Creative delivery. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody can arrest me now. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just Mr. Bible, right? The so, statute of limitations. Yes, yeah, statute of limitations expired. is over. We we brought these uh, pastors from rural Cuba study Bibles, and one pastor came up, and we were handing these Bibles to them in sort of a way in, in front of the church. It was a beautiful, beautiful service where. There were so many tears. As you know, you've seen it. You know that when, when a pastor receives a Bible, it is something deep and special. It's, it's, a, it's an affirmation of their ministry, and it is a tool that they'll use every day. There's, there's very few things that, that I've seen have more impact on people than receiving a Bible like this, a study Bible. But what was amazing to me is this one pastor came up, and he had a small box taped up corners, and he pulled it open, and inside— was his Bible. And it was the only Bible he had had to preach from since the revolution. Wow. The, the cover had worn away, the binding was gone, and literally page after page were stacked like... in this box. I can't, and when we gave him a study Bible, I mean, it, it, the tears just flowed down his face. He said, now I will be able to, I mean, imagine worrying in the pulpit if a breeze comes right. by and blows the pages <laughs> away from your Bible. But that's the kind of thing that we see happen time and time again around the world when people get copies of God's Word. 
Carl, you wrote a book uh, along with a couple of others called The Privilege of Persecution. Uh, now, the, the subtitle is, And Other Things the Global Church Knows That We Don't, mm-hmm. We Being the American Church. A lot of people in my church would not talk about persecution as being a privilege. <laughs> this is probably true in your church also. What's the secret behind that title, and why do you say persecution is a privilege? Sure. I mean, for me, one of the things I've learned uh, most permanently from the persecuted church was this sort of inverted idea set that we have in the West. They understand what it is to follow Christ in ways that we don't. And uh, I'll tell you where the title came from. It came from Philippians. But I was actually with a pastor in Colombia on one of my first and early trips with Open Doors, and they had lost members of their congregation to the FARC guerrillas mm-hmm. who had murdered them because they wouldn't go and work in the cocaine fields that were keeping their revolution going. These were the violent, This was the violent part of Colombia at the worst part of the violence. And, and I looked at him. I said, how can you— and your church endure in such a place. And he said, well, it's it's like the New Testament. And he, he brought me to Philippians where it says, to you it has been granted not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his name. Like and, this is an extra level of blessing. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know about you, but around my church, when I was in Southern California, I was a pastor, and in other parts of the country, you know, people would use shorthand for having a good life is saying, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And, you know, how are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, my kids are doing great. My car is running well. You know, I got a house, got, uh, you know, an opportunity to take a vacation in the summer. I'm blessed. But when I talk to pastors and church leaders and evangelists in the persecuted church, their definition of being blessed was quite different. They said, we consider it a privilege to suffer for Christ. And so doing, we know that our reward will be eternal. I think that's a lesson we can learn. I think it's a lesson that I certainly learned and that I realize now we see things through an upside-down lens too often here in the U.S. and the other Western countries. We so do, and, uh, you know, that's that's why we do VOM Radio every week is to share those stories and hopefully help us get our vision uh, sort of back into the biblical, eternal perspective I have met some American Christians who say they're praying for persecution for the American church. I suspect you have, too. How do you respond to that? Well, I had the exact same thing happen to me in Beijing, a pastor that uh, was working with some of our underground house church networks in that part of the of the world. And, and frankly, now, even with Biblica, the great privilege is, as you know, one of the greatest things that the persecuted church asks for is a copy of God's Word, not just to be remembered in prayer, but to, to have a copy of God's Word. So I'm still able to meet with and work with all of these folks. But he said to me, he said, Carl, we pray for you in America. And I said, Pastor B, why? And he goes, because we know that persecution is the devil's second best weapon to destroy the church. Apathy and affluence is his best weapon. I, I just remember sitting there going, he has got it absolutely right. Because it. you know this. Every time you walk into some of these places where you've had to, you know, literally be smuggled into some of these meetings and they only meet at night and there's so much risk from the external authorities and there's so much at stake 
if these people are discovered. And yet their passion, their love for Jesus, their love for his word, it's palpable. And I go to America and we have every resource. But because we have everything, the passion, the the sense of, of adventure that is with the persecuted, it just doesn't exist. And uh, and I pray every day for churches in America that are just, as, as Keith Green used to sing, asleep in the light. You know, we have so much. We've been so well fed. But, you know, we look half dead sometimes. Yeah. The privilege of persecution, the idea that suffering is an honor, mm. the idea that suffering purifies faith and deepens faith mm-hmm. uh, is— it's hard for us as, and I'm one, a comfortable American Christian, I'm one of those. Right. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. But like you say, when you go and sit down with these folks and they say, isn't this awesome that God did this and this and this? And, oh, sure, I got thrown in prison for a while. And, oh, yeah, some people in our church got killed. But isn't this awesome what God is doing? And you're just like, wow. Todd, you couldn't say it any better. I, I was with a, a, an Iranian brother who a number of years ago, there was a, there was a very strong persecution of the, of the Christian leadership in the country. And his father happened to be in the, in the government, in the civil authorities, you know, sort of in the, in, the, in the military police. But he became a believer. He became a Christian, secret believer, was found out, was brought into Evan prison, was tortured. And I asked him, I said, what were you thinking? And he said, while I was being hung upside down and being beaten, all I could think of, what a privilege it was to suffer like wow. my Lord did. Wow. And uh, eventually his father intervened and got him out of the prison. But I can't, I can't even my, in my own flesh imagine being in that situation. And that is my thought. Yeah. That I either. think it's a privilege to suffer this way for Christ. So, so we just want to do all we can to come alongside believers and organizations and ministries, help them with God's word to strengthen them in the midst of that. Because, you know, it's God's word placed deep in people's hearts that sometimes is what keeps them going through these difficult and desperate circumstances. We are coming up on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I know you've talked about Bibles, you've talked about prayer. How do you encourage people to pray? Because I know we say, okay, we're going to have the International Day of Prayer, uh, November the 5th, we're going to pray for persecuted Christians. But then it's some people have a hard time wrapping their mind around, okay, God bless the persecuted church. Yes, I want to go deeper than that. Right. How would you advise people to pray specifically based on your experience meeting with persecuted Christians and hearing their testimonies? What do they want us to pray for them? Well, I would love for American Christians to read the New Testament with the eyes of the first century Christians. You know, when Paul wrote in Philippians, you know, and he wrote about suffering. He wrote about his chains. You know, the the author of Hebrews uh, famously wrote, you know, about remember, when we remember those in chains, it's as, it's as if we are with there with them. Um, and I think too many of us in our hyper-individualized American culture think of prayer as just me and God, just, you know, my life, my my needs, my issues, and maybe I'll pray for my family, but, you know, really it's about us. And really, prayer is an engagement of the great heart for God for all people all over the world. And when we stand with the persecuted, when we stand with them in prayer, you know, we are absolutely like the first century church. Uh, we're absolutely like the Apostle Paul and John and others who themselves suffered 
beatings and tortures on behalf of the gospel, and yet, you know, we stand with them, we stand with all those Christians. So I think it's, it's incredibly important. And I think this, the more you get into the Bible, the more you can begin to see through the first century lens this reality. And it drives you to pray for the persecuted. It drives you to pray for the beautiful, mystical thing we call Christ's body on earth, the church. That's what's suffering right now. You know, there's a, there's a passage where Paul says, I filled up the measure of Christ for you. I completed, yeah. Yeah, I completed the work. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I used to have a problem with that I, as a theologian. I used to say, wait, Christ's work is finished once for all. But then I began to realize the context of that was Paul actually came and suffered physically in front of them for the sake of the gospel, which they would never have seen Christ suffering on the cross, but they saw Paul suffering. And that was the measure that they needed to say, this is worth dying for. This is worth everything. It's worth everything. That's right. Tell me, and you've talked about a couple in the course of our conversation, but but one of the persecuted Christians that you met in the course of your ministry life that really left a mark on you and left an impression on you? From, you know, different parts of the world, you hear different kinds of suffering. And one of the brothers that I met with was an evangelist in India. And many people don't in America associate India with strong persecution. Yeah, incredibly intense persecution. Incredibly intense persecution. There is a movement there that is basically trying to eliminate Christianity from India. And, you know, there's millions and millions of Christians in India. And this could be, in the next decade or so, a very, very bloody situation. But these two evangelists that we actually quote in the book— were telling us about their ministry, and they would go from village to village. They would pray, and the the Spirit would lead them to these different villages where they would distribute Bibles, and they would pray for people, and they would do healing for uh, some of the people in in the villages. And um, pretty soon they got a reputation. And if it sounds like the New Testament, it sounds pretty much like what these guys' experience was. They would come into a city, they would cast out some demons, they would heal some people's sickness, and they would share the gospel, they would pass out Bibles, and then they would move on. Well, this Hindu uh, movement got wind of these guys, and they're just young boys. I mean, when, when I met them, they were in their early 20s. And yet they would go out in these twos, just like, again, New Testament, doing this. They were beaten senseless. They were beaten and left for dead. They were actually thrown off a bridge leading into this village. And they landed in the mud flats below and were unconscious. Until the next morning, both of them woke up and... You know, you can imagine this beating. I, it was with a pipe. I saw the scar on the head of one of the uh, the young boys when I met him. And I, and I said, so what did you do? He said, well, we washed off in the river. And then we went back into the village to keep our keep doing the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I went, like, what else were we going to do? Went, well, of course, uh, this is what we do. And, and I think so many of us in, in our own definition of, quote, unquote, hardship or difficulty are so quick to question God. God, mm-hmm. why did you abandon me? God, you know, where were you when, you know, when I was losing my job? Or where were you when, you know, my my daughter, um, you know, ran out? <sighs> Those things are hard, yes. But when I look at the suffering and I compare it, I just realize they understand something rich and deep about Christ that we all too often have forgotten, and that is he is enough. And faith is action. If you say you believe, beautiful. 
I'll show you how I believe. And when we see it lived out, that's what faith really looks like. And, and you know, for me, that is a privilege. That's a privilege to be able to live out that kind of faith for, you know, the kind of culture that they're in. And to see those brothers and sisters is such a blessing. I mean, to sit down with someone like that and I know at the end you probably said, now what can we do? Well, we want you to pray for us. And and your thought and mine has been too, I actually want you to pray for me. Yes, <laughs> yes. I need your prayers yes. more than you need mine. No question. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Carl Moeller. He's the CEO of Biblica. As we finish up today, Carl, I want to ask you, and you've just shared this this powerful testimony of these evangelists in India, how are you different or how is your faith different because of the persecuted Christians that you've encountered, talked to, heard their stories, how do you live differently as an American Christian after being impacted by their examples? First of all, I believe God's Word more. What I saw in persecuted Christians, that's just number one. What I saw in them was an absolute bedrock belief that if it said it in God's Word, they were going to believe it, they were going to act on it, they were going to act like it was true. Even if they died doing it. Even if they died doing it. I think that's number one. Number two, and this may sound really weird, but I've become more generous. When I saw persecuted Christians, one story from Chiapas, Mexico comes to mind where a pastor and his family just opened up the church to us. We preached. We had an amazing experience with them. And they had a lunch for us. You know, there's one of these places where the chickens are running around and, you know, we're all just sitting after church, after two, three-hour church service, and we sit there and we have this wonderful fresh chicken soup and some rice. And my son, who was very young at the time, was like super excited because for a week he hadn't had soda and they had Fanta soda. <laughs> and and so I, but I leaned over the translator. I said, so how much did this lunch cost him? And he said, oh, maybe 200 pesos. Now, you have to know they make about 300 pesos a month. Wow. So put it in your context. I don't know what your monthly salary is, but would you spend two-thirds of your monthly salary on a lunch or a banquet for people who are just coming to visit you, right? I mean, we had no Nothing more than just say, hey, what's going on in your church and how can we pray for you and pray with you? That's the idea of generosity. If if nothing was in the pantry except bananas, they would give you all their bananas. Every last one. Every last one of them. Why? Because they take seriously, again, what God's Word says, give as you want it to be given to you. We give whatever we can spare. However, we define that. So for me, that's that's another thing. And then, of course, you know, the idea of living by faith. Just that getting up, washing yourself off, and going back into a situation that's tough. How many of us just want to, we just want an easy life, Lord, just give us an easy, it doesn't ever come out in our prayers that way, but really, if we really sat down and say, Lord, just give me an easy life, that's all I'm asking. And God just says, sorry, that's not in my book. It doesn't happen that way. The people who prayed for easy life, they don't end up too well. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dr. Carl Moeller, He's the CEO of Biblica. Dr. Carl, thanks for sharing with us. I I love how your heart comes through. Uh, So thanks for being with us this week. It's super great to be with you, Todd. And God bless everything you're doing here at VOM. I'm I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to partner with you guys. and, And we at Biblica stand with you in every way. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. You can listen to this interview again. You can listen to all of our previous episodes of VOM Radio. 
as well. We've talked today about Bible distribution. You can help with that if you click on the Donate tab at the top of the page at vomradio.net and then select the Bibles to Captive Nations Fund. 100% of that money goes to distribute the Scriptures in hostile and restricted nations. Last year, that was 1.2 million-plus Bibles going into hostile and restricted nations. Hopefully in 2017, it will be even more than that. So feel free as you're at vomradio.net, just click on that Donate tab and then Bibles to Captive Nations. You know, when young people finish high school, they feel a lot of pressure to get a job or go to college or, or make something of themselves. And, you know, some of that is very good. But next week, we're going to talk about young people who are sharing the gospel. We're going to meet some leaders from YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and hear about training up church planters to go to places where the gospel's never been preached before. You'll be inspired by the conversation. You'll be challenged by the conversation. So be sure you're back next week with us right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.